Welcome back to another edition of All in the Library. I am Leslie Nicholson. I am a middle school librarian and my co-host. Hey, I'm Debbie Sewell and I'm a high school librarian. And so without any further ado, let's get started with our next episode where we interview the amazing Suzanne Crowley. Thank you, Suzanne. We're so excited to have you today. I'm so happy to be here and meet both of you. I've been very excited about this. Well, I'm going to let Debbie kind of take the lead here. Um, she is just over the moon and had, was like, you have to read these books. You have to read them. And I love the name Esme. I, well, I'm a Twilight nerd. And so um, I loved learning about the, you know, I never heard the name Esme until then. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's dive into finding Esme. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh gosh. Um, as you know, two of my um, middle grade books are set in Texas. I'm a fifth generation Texan and um, I grew up with um, my father and his mother were just um, really good storytellers. Um, they were mainly tall tales and um, full of Texas folklore and um, Texas sayings. Um, so I was very much influenced by my father and my grandmother and little things in their stories end up in all my books. And particularly with Finding Esme, um, several things, um, as you know, Finding Esme is about um, finding things lost, um, both tangible and intangible. And um, I've always been fascinating with divining sticks. If you're from Texas, you've <laughs> heard about those. And it's when people would use a bowed stick and supposedly find water. Now, whether they knew that water was under the surface there or not, or if, it, if there's a little bit of magic in there, I've just been really fascinated. And, that became kind of the tangible in finding Esme. As you know, her grandmother B um, finds things, not water, but she finds all kinds of things. Um, people, lost keys, cars, and it's with her finding stick. But in a larger picture, it's about finding um, herself, Esme, She's searching for who she is and um, she discovers she has the gift of finding things like her grandmother. Um, also, honey plays a big role in the book and uh, my great-grandfather, um, Oscar Oliver Saunders, born in 1860, um, had a honey business and so did a great grand uncle, I think. Um, and interest, it's very interesting that at the turn of the century, the 1900s, something like 150,000 farmers, because uh, they struggled in Texas to be farmers, they also had honey businesses. 150,000 in Texas, something like that. So um, that plays- I didn't know that. I did not. Yeah, that plays a big role and that came from family. And then also, um, the dinosaur, Esme finds a dinosaur on the hill on her family's farm. And I, as a child, I was fascinated with anything fossils. 
and rocks. I had a rock collection and I still love um, rock specimens and I have them all over my house. Um, and I see a dinosaur know. behind me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think there's a rock specimen back there too. So I loved dinosaurs. And as a little girl, when we were living in Austin, I found a riverbed at the back of the neighborhood that must have been um, an ocean at one time. And there was all kinds of shell fossils and I would collect them there. But then somehow word got around the neighborhood and a bunch of other kids on bicycles showed up and started getting them too. But so that's some of the inspirations behind finding Esme. Now, is this set near like Glen Rose in Texas? That's about, a, yes, that's also an inspiration. I live in North Texas and Glen Rose is up here. And um, for those of you who don't know, there's famous dinosaur prints found in Glen, Glen Rose that are in, embedded in the riverbed. So yes, that was an inspiration too. It was wonderful. The voice is amazing. And, and tell us about that and also the setting of that book. Well, it's set up in general up here in North Texas where I live. Um, my first book was set in what, way over in West Texas. So I, I wanted to do something different with this book. And it's um, just from my imagination of a family farm. Although I come from a lot of a long line of farmers in Texas. So it's drawn from those family stories. And what's the, the year about? Is it at the 70s or? Yes, it's 70s, which I've heard from librarians is con considered historical fiction now. But to me, that's my childhood. <laughs> I, I didn't know that I'm an old dinosaur too, but that's considered right in your realm, 70s or 80s is considered historical fiction now. No, no, I didn't know that either. Oh, no, I did but not know I wanted, that. I like to set my books um, in that time period because it's my childhood and before cell phones, um, which makes it, it's just like a kind of a nebulous, um, charmed world of before social media and um, cell phones. And maybe someday I will write more of a contemporary and there's ways of putting all of that in there and that can change a story arc too. But, um, well, um, I love that like you were talking about West Texas. So let's go all the way over to the very ordered existence of Marilee Marvelous. Love that yeah. story. Um, tell us about your inspiration for that one. Well, um, my dad's family um, was from Uvalde. Sadly, that's where the shooting happened. Um, so that's not far west, as far west Texas as um, Marilee is set. This one seemed like it was in Marfa. It, it just reminded me of Marfa, but I don't know. I've never been there, so I don't know. It is, it is Marfa. Oh, and it is Marfa, okay. Yeah, my mother-in-law and two of my brother-in-laws lived there. And at the time I was living in California, we moved a lot with my husband's company before coming back to Texas. But I went to a girl's trip with my husband's sisters in Marfa and in, with my mother-in-law and five of his sisters. And we went to go see the Marfa lights one night and they were there. They're not always there. They were there. Oh, wow. They were there. And there was about a hundred people. This is before they had a state viewing point. You just sat on boulders in the complete darkness off the side of the road. 
and they were there and they were so magical. I don't know what they are. I don't think that they're car headlights like some people think they are because where you're viewing is apparently on private ranches um, where they're showing up near the mountains. What I saw couldn't be car headlights. I don't know what they are. It's some sort of natural phenomenon is what I think. Mm -hmm. um, they danced around, they changed colors. Oh my gosh. They, they bounced together and multiplied. They shot off into the sky like a shooting star. Oh my gosh. Um, some people think that they're um, phosphorescence on the mountains and something is producing a, a certain light. I, I don't know what it is, but to me it was magical. And so that, I came back from viewing them, I like, I've got to put this in a book somehow. Um, so that's... Oh, wow. I really want to go see them now. Oh my gosh. I know. I do too. Oh my God. Well, they're not there all the time. I know. I know. Two or three times and it's like, wah, wah. They're not here. <laughs> I know because my sisters have gone and they've not seen them ever. So it was really neat to have that in the book as a big plot part. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's where that came from. Um, and then that, that, has a lot of family stories um also so um what about the main character uh Marilee? where did you get her inspiration well that's loosely based on a family member um i wrote that when there were no books at the time with anyone on the spectrum mm -hmm. now there are a lot mm -hmm. um so it's loosely based on a family member, but also a lot of me and my interests. And um, I. And then another family member is obsessed with trains and that's in the book. And there really are trains that go through, through Marfa. But um, so just loosely based on a family member and also kind of me, I guess you could say. So semi-autobiographical. Oh, I it's so beautifully written. It really is. I just was just drawn in and couldn't stop. And then the little, her little friend that she meets with fetal alcohol syndrome. Yes. What about, with... Yes. Where did she, where did that come from? That I didn't, I didn't know anyone with that. I had to do some research. Um, he just came to me one day to Biswick. Um, when I came back from that trip to Marfa, I just wrote that book in less than a month, stream of consciousness. It just That's poured amazing. out of me. And I do write from the seat of my pants, but it gets me in trouble <laughs> because it's sometimes years of revisions. And with that book, um, I sent out query letters. That's how you did it the old fashioned way at that time, actual snail mail. And I had five publishers interested because there was no books at that time with anyone with the voice of someone on the spectrum. And I ended up with Green Willow because my editor had just been hearing about Marfa. And actually I'd been working with another editor at Green Willow, but then left the company and assistant um, handed it to the top editor. And she's like, this sounds like Marfa. <laughs> and he heard about 
She had heard about Martha because um, Naomi Shahab Nye is, um, you know, she's the famous poet, mm -hmm. is one of Green Willow's um, writers. And Naomi had just done a writer, writers in residence in Martha and had been sending long letters to Virginia, my editor. And also the art director had just like the week before driven through Marfa and stayed for the weekend. So he came back with stories. How crazy is that? But sometimes it's, um, what's the word? The serendipity. Yeah. Because Fate. I had been working Destiny. for like two years with no contract with another editor at Green Willow doing revisions and not moving forward. And then she left the company and the assistant had handed it to Virginia who had just been hearing stories of Marfa and she contacted my agent and said, I want this and I'm ready to do a contract. And so it was, as I tell aspiring writers, it's 90% um, hard work. And then sometimes it's 10% luck. Just that, um, that serendipity and a perfect moment all happening at the same time. That's so amazing. that's how I got that contract. But you also wrote another book before, oh, after that, The Stolen One. Yes, and how that happened is when my agent called me and said, Virginia is ready to offer you. This all happened in less than a week, and I'm going to ask for a two-book contract. And I said, oh, don't push it. I'm ready. I'm, I'm happy just to get Merrily published. And she said, well, do you have any ideas for a second book and I need to act on this. Give me an idea right now. And I, I've always loved Elizabethan history. And I said, well, I do have just a little idea of a book and it's about, um, it's about no one knows what happened to um, this queen's daughter. And some people think she died and some think people just supposed, what if she grew up in the country? And I said, I could write a book about that. She said, good, that's what I'm gonna pitch to her. And then I had to write it. And all that was, was a little spark of an idea. And then when it came time to write that book, I, it was just a small idea, but I didn't know how to get started. And I was, um, I was delaying and I was procrastinating. And Virginia said, write the first paragraph and you better send it to me in the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> she forced me and I wrote that paragraph and I sent it to her and she said, this is beautiful. And I've already shared it with everyone in the office. Now get started. <laughs> and that's it. It's great, but it's so different than the other two books. It really is. I think it's a little more YA, I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's YA in a completely different historical voice. Yeah. And I was under deadline with that one, which is um, much harder to write. I'd rather just write with no deadline and some little dream of an idea. But she would give me little deadlines since I had procrastinated. And she'd say, now I want the first, the next 20 pages and give it to me in the next two weeks. And I hadn't done all the research that I needed to do on that era. I've read a lot of that era, but I was having books come in as I was writing on like one of the ladies in waiting. And I would, 
take a day and read about that particular character. So I, and then I would go back and add some detail and, and added a lot of detail um, about the dresses and um, the main character goes to um, Queen Elizabeth's court and is working in the wardrobe. So I had to do a lot of research on the dresses at that time and how they made the dresses and who worked in the Queen's wardrobe. And I had books coming in from England also that I would take a day or so and um, read more about the stitching and the where they got the fabrics from Italy and, and then add. So um, I had not done all that research ahead of time. I was generally aware of that time period, but had to quickly do um, a huge learning curve as I was writing. I thought it was interesting. The main character um, is really good at embroidery or whatever the stitching to make the dresses. That was fascinating to me and how they put jewels. I didn't know that. They've actually put real jewels into the dresses. Yes, and also symbolism. Um, like the queen had um, an eye stitched into a lot of her dresses and I would use true things from history and then I'd also kind of make up some symbolism that maybe wasn't exactly something from Queen Elizabeth, but it would tie in with the story. And I, I worked with a really, really good book on the Queen's wardrobe that I think I had to pay $300 for and have it shipped from England because there's only a few copies left. And it's someone that um, got a copy of every single dress that was in Queen Elizabeth's wardrobe. She got a copy of an inventory from 1601 after the Queen died and someone took an inventory of every single dress and it was described elaborately and I was able to use some of the, those details in the book but it also went into where um, how they embroidered um, where they even got their threads um, it was an amazing book to use oh wow that's a lot of research yeah <laughs> you do have something a little fantastical in it the wolf is it the wolf there's like a wolf that keeps showing up or something Tell yeah I've I'm really big on imagery yeah. and pulling those threads through a book. I took a course on Shakespeare in college and it was with that professor really had us um, work on imagery in Shakespeare and how we did it. They, he taught us a technique where we would read the play and have a scratch piece of paper off to the side and anytime there was a word that might have to do with imagery like wolves or um, um, intrigue. You wrote it off to the side and you would have pages and pages by the end of listening. We, he'd have us listen on audio tape and that taught us imagery. And then you could go through and see key words that Shakespeare would use over and over. And then you really saw the imagery and that had a huge impact, I think, on my writing of adding imagery through a book. Um, in Wolves, I play a role and that just, the wolves in the stolen one just represent, I think, intrigue and possibly something um, um, foreshadowing. 
And actually, that first paragraph that I wrote that I described that Virginia forced me to write, um, that is intact exactly in the book, but she had me add a short paragraph before that about the wolves. Because she said, let's, you have that as imagery through the book, Let, let's get that right there in the first two sentences. Love that. So um, these are wonderful. So tell us, what was your, how did you get started writing or what did you do? Did you do anything before you were a writer? Tell us about your path and your journey. Oh gosh, I've been writing books um, since I was a little girl. Um, they look like these, can you see? So since I was a little girl, I would hand write books and try to make them look like real books. I even, there's even a logo, there's even a logo on the back. I was, I think had more fun making it into a book than the writing. So I've been writing since I was a little girl, um, writing, and then I got a typewriter and I typed them and they had chapters and I tried to make them as long as I could. And then I got a degree in journalism from UT. And then maybe in my thirties, I wrote two romance novels that have never been published. Um, and then after 9-11, I thought uh, around that time that I went to Marfa, um, I just want to write something for my children and my grandchildren. Um, I think that's read. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have, I'm, I'm curious. So um, I know from conversation you and I have had that you do a lot of uh, deep diving with um, trying to find different things about people. What is that ever? I could totally see that as a book, right? And we're like a relationship with people and finding them you know, through DNA, different services and search. I could see something really cool with that. Is that ever an oh, idea? Possibly. Um, I guess I'm just nosy and <laughs> I'm um, deeply curious about people and their stories. Yeah. And that's what I, when I give advice to would-be writers, I say, um, write what you know about um write what you're curious about um and of course write 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 you have to practice and read 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 as many books as you can and um write what you're curious about and i'm just deeply curious about um many many things that's so you have a lot of hobbies you know? I know. I saw the sculpting yeah. and the, the tell miniatures. us about all of those uh, things. Yeah. My other biggest passion in life besides writing is, um, well, I have many, I probably have too many, but is <laughs> one of the, one of the main one is dollhouses and mm -hmm. miniatures. And I've been collecting miniatures for dollhouses since I was a little girl. Um, one of my grandmothers was a China painter. She would paint China and, um, all kinds of jewelry and but she she'd paint me miniature like tea sets and little mm. miniature chairs and um when i'd go to visit her she had a, a blue and white ginger jar and there would be treasures in there for me little things that she had either found on the property or little china items that she had painted and then when i was a teenager in houston there was a local dollhouse shop 
that I would go to. And I started taking classes there when I was about 16. And then in college, I started, when I was doing my journalism classes, um, one of my classes, it was advanced feature writing. We would get an A in the class if we could get something, an acceptance letter before the end of the semester. So I went into a local dollhouse shop there in Austin and I said, do you know any artisans that I could write articles about? And I ended up, I think I was the only one in the class that got three acceptance letters because I wrote, I already kind of knew the miniature magazines. And so I wrote articles, submitted them and got acceptance letters. Congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. And then eventually started making my own things. And there's a whole um, show circuit for mm-hmm. miniatures and dollhouses. If you know that movie, Best in Show, yes. about the dogs, yes. it's kind of like that, the same characters. And I've known th- these miniature artisans for literally like 40 years. And so for about 15 years, I would sell my sculptures at these miniature shows. And then I had to put a break on that um, when I got my first book contract because it's it's very time consuming to do that show circuit and I needed to be writing my books. But during the pandemic, I kind of uh-huh. got all my miniatures back out and started um, really uh, working on them again and getting in touch with my old miniature friends and meeting new ones on Etsy and and now oh, that's, yeah, that's a great whole, that hobby is just my miniatures have exploded again um, because of the pandemic. Like a lot of things during the pandemic, we all we started new hobbies or we got out some of our old hobbies and dusted them off. Yeah, I started baking bread, so I made lots and lots. <laughs> I made a lot of banana bread too. Okay, <laughs> you know all of your books could make great movies. Has that ever been in the works? They just. Um, the Finding Esme had some interest and I got very excited. Um, someone, a movie agent was going to pitch it and um, nothing ever happened. And I think that happens a lot mm-hmm. with um, young adult and middle grade. You get some interest and I, I think for someone to act- to go through that process of getting it optioned and it actually being made into a movie, I, from what I've heard from my writer friends, the odds are really low. And I, and I, I said to a couple friends, but that agent talked to me for two hours and I thought it was a sure thing. And they said, oh, those movie agents are like ex-husbands. They can talk a good story. But <laughs> I love it. For, it. for it to really happen, it doesn't always happen. Um, Oh, yeah. Um, I think they would make great, great movies also. Mm-hmm. But. They would. They're not, they're, you know, I know it's not the action that seems and the superhero thing that seems to be popular right now, but I think there's definitely a place for these. Oh, movies. there's so many streaming services and so many things out there. You never know. Well, yeah, that's like, what um, the agent with Finding Esme, she was going to pitch it for Netflix. Yeah, and that right. time, yeah. They needed more children's programming. Yeah, yes. like, like because of Win Dixie, you know, it has that same innocent feel. Mm, that I just, just it's beautiful. She's, nice classic. She's one of my favorite writers. Oh, Kate. really? Did you yeah. have, is there a shout out to a particular author you would like to give? Is there someone? Um, well, some of the books that I liked as a child um, Frog and Toad are Friends and Where the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Stuart Little, Charlotte's Web. Um, I don't read a lot of middle grade books. I don't want to be influenced. <laughs> I don't want to be like pick up on something and then have it end up in my book. Oh, that's a that's an interesting take. Okay. Yeah, but I do love Kate's books. Um, most of my reading on the side is totally different. It's um, Who Done It. Oh yes, <laughs> love them. I love, love um, Ruth Ware and Louise Penny, and I used to never love those books, but they're such escapism. So I read a lot of whodunits. I read some historical fiction. Um, I love Donna Tart, The Goldfinch. Oh yeah, so my daughter like, loves her books. <laughs> oh, I, and she only writes one them. like every ten years. Um, so I, I don't read a lot of middle grade or young adult. I mean, some of the obvious ones like Twilight, yes, I've read. But I like to get my mind off of my own writing. So I read just totally for escapism when I'm reading on the side. Is I there another um, book in the works? Yes, I'm waiting for revision notes from my editor. And um, that's another, she wants me to keep um, with Texas books because oh. you Texas librarians are such a big force um, she, and, and they do occasionally make you know some of the TLA reading lists. And... I'm on the Spirit of Texas uh, reading oh, okay. Yeah, committee. I was on that three years, two, two, three it had years to it, it had to be the year I think right before I got on because okay. I didn't I haven't I hadn't gotten that one um, oh. but I'm really excited so as soon as you have another one out have your publisher send it to us and okay, okay. read through them. This one is set in Central Texas and it's about a boy. So this is the first time I'm writing um, with a boy's voice. Oh, that's good. And we need more boy books, definitely. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, he's got panic disorder and he's afraid to live, leave the hill that he lives on. Something about hills always shows up in my books um and um he calls it going into a sinkhole when he has a panic attack and then he finds a sinkhole on the backside of the large hill they live on he's gone to live with a grandfather and it keeps getting bigger every time he has a panic attack so there's some symbolism oh interesting uh, yeah and um, he meets a new friend. There's always a friend that comes mm -hmm. into the picture and she's trying to pull him off the hill and eventually she disappears and makes him leave and come find her. So it's, you know, titles change, but right now it's called Odo and the Big Giant Sinkhole. Oh, that sounds fascinating. So like Central Texas, like the hill country. Yes, yes. Perfect. Oh, That's where uh, nice. Well, I'm going to tell you, we are going to probably move into our last little bit of our interview, and that is where we do an author version of Would You Rather. And Debbie, do you have some questions that you oh, can ask? Some. These are fun, and you can answer them uh, yes or no, or however you want to answer them. You know, you can expound on it. Okay, so would you rather read on the bed or on a couch? in bed i'm always in bed <laughs> like at eight o'clock at night i'm in bed with a book and the remote and my phone Love oh it. yes Love it. and my dog and your dog <laughs> what kind of dog do you have 
uh, Lucy's the King Charles Cavalier. Oh my gosh, I have a King Charles Cavalier. Three. Uh, mine's a Blenheim, kind of the ruby and white color. Uh, mine's the, the black, and, black and tan, the black and tan. Okay, I think that's called the tricolor. Oh. But, yeah. but, but poor Lucy's been banned up to the other side of the house with the door shut because I was afraid she was going <laughs> to bark during the entire. Oh, okay, no worries. Um, okay, what else you got? Ours. Okay, the next one is: um, Would you rather read a paperback book, a hardback book, or digitally? Hardback, because I want to support the authors. So um, I only buy in hardback and then I send them on, it's like a chain. I send them on to my mother, then they get sent to a cousin and then they get sent to someone else. So I feel like it, the money is well spent with the hardbacks. Um, I love that. I read a lot of reviews and I immediately order the book and it's usually at that point in hardback is another reason. Um, and I just love the feel of a book. I love flipping through the pages. I love glancing back at the cover or glancing back at the, the, the inset, at the author's description. I love looking at the cover. I just love the feel of a book. Mm -hmm. That definitely makes sense because if you read digitally, it's hard. You never see the cover really. I mean, because once no. you get into it, it's hard. The only time I read digitally is on an airplane on my okay. um, on an iPad. Oh, that's great. So, would you rather live in the last book you read or continue living your daily life? I guess continue my daily life because of my children, and I'm hoping for grandchildren. Then, yes. Well, what life. was the last book you read? I mean, what would... Right now, I'm reading um, The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell, and that's historical fiction, and that's set in the 1500s in Italy. She also wrote Hamnet, which was um, one of Shakespeare's sons. So she'll, she's kind of, she kind of writes books like The Girl and the Pearl Earring. Oh, yeah, so I she, love that book. It's based, her books are kind of based on something truth, but then kind of like the stolen one, then makes up a whole um, story around a piece of history. That's cool. Okay, would you rather have dinner with your favorite author or your favorite character? Oh gosh, um, maybe um, my favorite character. Um, Yes, then it would be Cat from the stolen one. So I could go back into the 1500s just for one day. I wouldn't want to live in the 1500s mm -hmm. um, because of the hard life that they had. Um, but I would go for dinner um, for one night. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. She's cool. She's a cool cat. Okay, would you rather read by a fireplace or on the beach? Um, a fireplace. So cozy, um, right? Yes. Well, it got chilly here finally down yeah. here, so that's good. Uh, would you rather only read series or standalone novels? I think standalone novels, just so that I can be in a different realm and uh, um, with each book. How about would you rather be a character in Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Um, actually, this is embarrassing, but I've only read the first book of Harry Potter. 
One time I was at a, a, a library conference and I whispered to someone because the subject of Harry Potter came up. And I said, I have a confession. I'm really embarrassed, but I've only read one, the first Harry Potter. And they said, me too. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> so I made Harry Potter. Okay. Well, thank you have, so Did you have one more? Oh, I have one more funny one. Okay, great. Let's do it. Would you rather zombies or unicorns? Um... Unicorns. I know. <laughs> Zombies. No. They don't eat you, so that's good. <laughs> okay, thank you. Those are fun. <laughs> thank you so much, Suzanne. We are going to go ahead and wrap this up. Take a look on uh, Suzanne Crawley's on her website. She's got some great information, links to all of her books. And um, as we always say before we end our show, put down that phone and pick up a book. And thank you for listening. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thanks. Well, we enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us. Bye.